0: Hi, my name is Caroline, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Journey podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. So when you look around this sanctuary, feel free to do so now, what thoughts come to your mind? Just just say them to me. Go ahead. Our thoughts come around when you look around the sanctuary. God. Oh, that's good. I like that. What else? Light. Okay. What else? Peace. Interesting. Lots of metaphors here. Yeah. What else? Joy. What, Gary? Tradition. Ah, very true. Yes. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, you know when you come to church every Sunday, Uh, particularly about the building is what I'm thinking about, or our worship space. I think it's beautiful. It is thoughtfully built. Uh, I love how our space points us towards Jesus every single Sunday. Even if the uh, the sermon is subpar, you're still going to see Jesus. Uh, we're connected in our space with our past and our present. And I think it is very helpfully ancient, and yet we can still participate in, in every way and meet Christ. Maybe for you, this is church done right. How church is supposed to be. Some facts about our building, though, just so you... I'm You may not know these things. Uh, The church has been on this space, in this exact place, since 1902. Before that, it was down on the square, then they disassembled it and brought it up here in 1902. It was built in what's called a carpenter Gothic style. Gothic means carved stones, pointed arches, uh, vaulting, which of course you can see. Uh, Carpenter means simply with wood. It also means uh, simple. Um, Not necessarily uh, plain, but clean oftentimes. Carpenter Gothic, that style, is uniquely American. It is uh, very popular in, in our country, but it's particularly popular in the South. If you uh, see memes of what church is, have you ever noticed they often look a lot like Grace Church? Uh, like, hey, look, they got a picture of my church, and then it wasn't your church. But we look a lot like what is commonly thought of as what church should look like. It's that Carp- Carpenter Gothic style, which is why Uh, over the last couple weeks and a couple weeks still, lots and lots of folks show up at our front door and they take their family photos in front of our church, though they don't come here. Uh, We just look good in their backdrop. Uh, Happens all the time. We get calls every single week for folks who want to be married here. I mean, I could spend my whole life just doing weddings in this church for people who don't attend here. This has the right look for them. And then we also get calls from folks who want to be buried from here because it feels right to them. And actually, we do do quite a few of those funerals because we want them to have a church home. Around you, we have 20 stained glass windows. We've had them all photographed and assessed. They're they're worth somewhere, so our insurance people tell us, around $200,000. But truly, I think they're priceless uh, because you couldn't replace them in the way that they are right now. The pews that you're sitting in, we have 32 and a half of them, in case you wondered. We can sit comfortably, more or less, about 260 people, though we've done services for about 440 people, uh, and that was just, you can't imagine how many folks were crammed in this building. The exterior, when you look at the church, is built with something called heart pine. It is the the core of a pine tree. Uh, It is incredibly expensive. You do not want to pay for that again. Um, so to have our entire exterior done with it, well, except for the back part of it, and that's done with some other pine, uh, which is sad because the termites hate the heart pine, but they like that back part a lot, and they keep showing up back there. And then finally, in this space, the AC that we have, God bless it, uh, it is original. It is original. 1952 when it was put in, 67 years old. Uh, And it is, uh, they tell us, in need of replacing. And so I weep over this because it will be many, many dollars. Uh, On your way out, you might see at the bottom of the steps a little plaque that recognizes Grace Episcopal Church as part of the National Historic Registry. This building is listed as a National Historic Treasure. But more than that, but more than that, for all the things that we are, that this building represents, from the first time that people visit to this very moment, when folks come into this space, they very often describe to me, and I myself feel it all the time, the tangible presence of God's Holy Spirit here. It's different. here; It's sacred here. I was ordained in this place, and so it has very powerful memories for me. My children have been and will be married in this, in this space. Reverend Caroline was ordained and married in this space, space, so she wins. (laughs) It's special. It's filled with meaning, and I also believe we're surrounded by the saints of God. With all of that said, how important this building is, how much significance it has to our community, to you personally. Imagine, if you will, if you can, that you came to grace Next week, and it was burned down. It was gone. Imagine that you come expecting to see all the normal, beautiful things that you have grown so accustomed to that are just common for you now, and all that's left is ash and some twisted metal. It would be a total loss. It would be a heartbreaking moment because everything that we currently see would be gone beyond any hope or help. So just think for a moment about what your feelings would be. Force, loss, deep heartache. You would probably have a hundred of questions. Can we rebuild? If we rebuild, will it be the same? Which the answer is, we all know, of course not. Will it ever be good? Even if it is. Even if it is... We rebuilt and we make it look almost the same. What about the heritage? What about the history of the folks who have come before us and sacrificed so that we can have this place and space right now? It would all be gone, 100% destroyed. With this idea that I look at our gospel today. This is exactly how the disciples must have felt as Jesus looked at the temple the glory of God. The temple, the holy temple in Jerusalem, beautifully ordained, beautifully appointed as this testament to God, as a testament to the Jewish faith for millennia. God's presence on earth in that temple. Can you imagine that space? It was bigger and grander than Solomon's temple. The whiteness of the stones on the temple were so bright that when people were ascending the mountain to Jerusalem, it looked like it was snow-capped mountains. The temple did. It was filled with gifts made for God by the most skilled, the most talented artisans. Tapestries, brass doors, golden lamps. We have none of those here. Items not just of incalculable wealth, but enormous cultural heritage and history. This was their life. It was easily one of the greatest wonders of the world, if not the greatest of them all. Easily that. And then more than that, it was the center of their worship, the very heartbeat. Where they would meet God here on Earth, because it was the best that humans had to offer. The best we had to offer, and it's about this temple that Jesus says, "As for these things that you see, the day will come when one not when one stone will not be left upon another; all will be thrown down." Their church. Their beloved sanctuary, gone, Jesus says, There are a lot of things we could talk about here, but what blows my mind right off the top is how rather than the disciples clapping their hands over their mouth, rather than them just being shocked into absolute silence, the next thing they say is, well, when? When will this happen? What will the signs be? What should we be looking for? to which starts Jesus' most incredible prophetic sermon and most often misinterpreted prophetic sermon in all of Scripture. Because he's not talking about the end of the earth. He's not talking about the rapture, or he's not even talking about his reign, his second reign here on earth. What he's talking about is the beginning of the end, what the beginning of that age will look like. And in fact, we know it happened in 70 AD. The temple was torn down, and now there is only one wall left that you can go and see. More than just the building, though, what I want to focus in on today is how Jesus describes that time. So please look with me here because he says something that's so profound that I think we often skip over because we're thinking about what his second return is going to be like. And I don't want to miss this, because what he really is saying to us today is, when this time comes of the beginning of the end, which we are in right now, it will not be easy. It will not be easy. And this is what we need to focus on today. More than the building, more than our church, we need to recognize that following Jesus Being a Christian requires effort and energy, but most probably importantly, it requires a decision by each one of you, one of us, who calls ourselves a Christian. It requires these things because to be a disciple, that is a follower of Jesus. It creates a new reality inside of us. To follow him means that we become something new. We find ourselves with some new options of a new moral code, uh, a moral compass that points, points north in a way that we're maybe not so used to on our own. And we start as Christians making choices that the rest of the world finds often unnecessary or simply nonsensical. Why, Christians, are you doing these things? something as simple as, I remember when I first decided to become a follower of Jesus. I realized that the constant swearing that I did was incompatible with being a Christian. Not because it offended other people, which it did, but because it wasn't who God was making me into. It wasn't what it meant to be a follower of him. I still believe that. How can fresh water and salty water come from the same source? Scripture tells us they can't. What flows out of the mouth is from the heart. And so I realized that I didn't need or want those words to be a part of my life anymore. What we've taught our children is those words are appropriate should you lose a limb. That's entirely appropriate then. But until then, save them. What I love about this, though, is what Blaise Pascal said. He's a famous philosopher, mathematician, maybe you know him as that, but he was also a very committed Christian, and this is how he put it. When everything is moving towards depravity, no one seems to be moving. But if someone stops, he shows up the others who are rushing on by acting as a fixed point. Do you hear that? Does that make sense? When everybody's moving towards depravity, it doesn't look like anybody's moving. And so when we, as believers in Jesus, make a decision to follow Jesus, we begin to act like that fixed point. And when that new reality becomes a part of us, Jesus says it will be exactly like what we read about in Luke 21. So pay attention, y'all, to what you see in Luke 21 today, because you should not be surprised when, not if, when, Significant relationships that you have with people who aren't believers go silent. When when the people that you do life with are offended because you aren't like them because of your faith, do not be surprised when you are betrayed, hated, persecuted, and Jesus says even killed because of your decision to follow him. All of this comes. From being a follower of Christ, and so it leaves us with, I think, two things that we need to do. We need to remind ourselves of this today. These two things: first, make up your mind. Make up your mind who you are. Make up your mind if you're going to be a follower. Make up your mind if you are actually going to be a disciple. And then, if the answer is yes, stand firm. Stand firm. We have to decide. Today, ideally, if it's worth it to you to follow him. And if the answer is yes, then you need to be ready to endure hardship, heartache, minimum headache. And these things, Jesus tells us, will be a regular occurrence, not a rarity. And I've seen these things. I've seen them in history, I've seen them even today because when you and I act as fixed points we stand in dark and stark contrast to a world that wants to mix and match its morals as it sees fit as it finds appropriate for today tomorrow those morals may be different for the world why not but for the christian our morals remain the same they stand rigid based on what jesus told us who we should be so how, is this, how are these challenges going to happen? Well, I think they're going to happen in actually two ways. They're going to be direct challenges, and then they're going to be indirect challenges. So Let me say a couple words about direct and indirect challenges. And I'll say, that first, that the direct challenges to our faith, for those of us who live in the U.S., are very rare. Overseas, a lot more, but for us here in the States, they're very rare. But I did have this happen to me many years ago. I was clerking uh, at a law firm because it was my intent to become a lawyer. I thought that's what I was supposed to be, or at least what I wanted to. And so I began to work at a law firm, helping and supporting a lawyer, Mr. Rutberg. And it was a blast. I loved it. I got to do a lot of reading and studying and research. We went to court together. I was able to support him. And I thought, this is really fun. This is who I want to be. This is what I want to do with my life. At that time, Marissa and I were also going to a Bible study, And it was in that Bible study and through our reading of Scripture and our time in prayer that we felt called to a great faith in our life, to take some steps in our lives that may seem radical, but primarily we felt called to give up on the dreams that we had been holding on to, to the dreams that we had decided were dream-worthy, and ask God, what dreams do you have for our lives? And when we did that we were both pretty shocked that he started talking to us about serving God in ministry full time. We made these decisions. We decided this was the direction we wanted to go with our lives. And so at work, not long after that, at uh, the law office, I told um, the lawyer I was working with about my decision. And when I told him, very quickly, just overnight, the office just changed like a light switch. It went from being fun and exciting to being hard. And I was regularly mocked by him privately, but also in the office publicly. He decided that it would be fun to make fun of me and my faith. Suddenly, I also found myself being assigned to new casework and doing research for defendants that had done some very, very egregious moral behavior. Mr. Rutberg wanted me to find ways that we could get them off, either on technicalities or um, legal positions. And I found myself very conflicted by this. This went on for several weeks, at the end of which, at at, at some point, I decided I needed to say something, so I went to him privately, and said, Mr. Rutberg, I feel like my faith and my decision to live out my faith occupationally has become somewhat of a struggle here in the office. I'm not sure why or what's going on, but I was wondering if we could talk about it a little bit so maybe we could come to some different understanding. I'm a little uncomfortable about the way things are, at which point he interrupted me, and he said, How dare you you confront me like this? It was your people. You Christians put my people, the Jews, in the gas chambers. And he went on from there for quite a long time. I didn't know how to respond. Obviously, the power imbalance between us felt incredibly dramatic. I was overwhelmed, and I sat there and just took it. I really wanted, what I really wanted was the earth to open up and swallow me. That's what I really wanted. It was the most direct attack on my faith that I had and still have ever encountered. After a while, he got tired, got wore out. I said nothing, and he just told me to get out of his office. And I went home that day wondering what to do because I had this choice: Uh, what do I do tomorrow? Do I go back? Should I just quit? Maybe this whole thing was just crazy. Maybe I missed. Maybe I imagined this. So, Marissa and I prayed a lot. And we decided that it would be good for me to go back, to stand firm, not to confront him, that obviously wasn't going to work, but just to be in the space. I decided to follow Jesus, and so this was a moment for me to stand firm. And I knew that I didn't need to be afraid, even if he fired me, it was going to be okay. Things did not get better, at all. But I found, through Jesus, the ability, the courage, to stand until the clerkship was over. That was a direct challenge to the faith that Jesus is talking about in Luke 21. Jesus promised it would happen. I've experienced it, maybe you have too. But I think more often than not, what we really encounter are indirect challenges the faith. Maybe you've heard this. I have. Someone has said to me, actually multiple people have said to me over the years, I'm really surprised that you're a Christian. You seem really smart. Or, you're a Christian? Why do you hate so many people? Or, this is when I'm not wearing my collar and they don't know what I do occupationally, they'll say, Christians just don't get it. Why does their way have to be the only way? They're so arrogant. These are subtle, and not so subtle, really, indirect attacks on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're full of assumptions. They leave no room for discussion. Maybe you've heard them. Maybe they're common to which Jesus has exactly the same response. Make up your mind and stand firm. Now, I'm not saying stand so firm that you go and be a jerk to them. That would be inappropriate. But you don't need to leave the space either. Matter of fact, if you leave the space, you're going to miss what God might want to do with you next. You and I, as followers of Christ, will be known by our beliefs. In fact, you should be known for your faith. So, If you're going to be known for your faith, let me just tell you, investigate it, study it, know scripture, know how to talk to folks, know how not to respond in kind when they attack, when you feel those comments made about you, how to take that punch and respond with love instead. It's going to take some work on your part to stand firm. You'll need to devote some time and effort to not just these ideas, but you're going to have to take some time and effort to devote to these people who you would otherwise rather not devote any time to. This is what Jesus talks about when he says, loving those who hate you. Engaging with those who malign you. Not with words of attack, but with words of grace." And there's this promise that if you do it, when they crash, When they write you off, you and I, as believers, are going to press in with love. When they hurt you, and they will, it's in those moments that you will experience grace and mercy for yourself, and then you will have so much that you'll be able to give it to them. as And when those tides of life crash against your house and theirs, you lose stuff, will still be hurt, but Jesus will make the difference. He will give you the words. He will enable you to show love in a way that you did not think possible, and he will guide you to do things and love in ways that have continually confounded our tit-for-tat world. That's what our world's used to. You hit me, I hit you. It's certainly how our government's running right now. And yet, I think there's a different world. And we as believers can show that way. And here's what will happen is when you stop moving with the world and act as that fixed point, that's when you're going to start hearing Jesus tell you what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. Brothers and sisters, this is how the church has changed the world. And This is what Grace Church is. This is what you as a Christian are right now how the saints of God will continue to march in honor of our King. Whether or not it's in this great building or not, it is up to us to make up our mind to be His and to act like Him. And then, stand. let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge how difficult this is, that when people say and do mean, hard, hateful things to us. We want to respond in kind. So help us to not. Help us to actually respond in such a way with your Holy Spirit so in us that we ourselves are surprised that we are not being hateful back. That we can't believe that we are forgiving in our head and then acting in love and giving what we should not give to a world that could care less about us. Because, Lord, we know when we do those things, you are honored. So, cause us to resolve right now to be yours and to stand firm. And when those hard words, actions, Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.